and welcome to another edition of Resistance TV. In tonight's programme, we're going to be talking to Asa Winstanley about his new book called Weaponising Anti-Semitism. It's about how the Israel lobby brought down Jeremy Corbyn. Alexis Sale says it's vital reading, and John Pilgers described it as outstanding journalism. Roger Waters calls it explosive, and Ken Loach says every bookshop should sell it and everybody should read it. Acer is an investigative journalist and associate editor with the Electronic Intifada. He's also a co-host of the Electronic Intifada podcast and publishes a weekly Substack newsletter called Palestine is Still the Issue. Hi, Acer. How are you, mate? Welcome to the show. I'm good. Thanks, Chris. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, mate. Uh, a bit warm, as we were saying before we started this <laughs> evening, but, you know, uh, we mustn't complain. We like the warmer weather, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, listen, I mean... Um, when I've said, just let's start, uh, Ace. I mean, when I've said that uh, the Israel lobby uh, destroyed the, I mean, I've been saying that the Israel lobby has destroyed the Corbyn project for for some time now. And there's, I often get a bit of pushback from some people on the left who who say, oh, yeah, it wasn't the uh, Israel lobby; it was the second referendum committed to a second referendum on Brexit." How, how would you respond to that, Asa? Well, I think there's two points to make about that. First of all. I would say I don't think anyone on the left disputes the fact that it had a massive impact. I think it's more about whether it had the biggest impact. And I would say two things. I would say, first of all, it's almost academic. Like it, it's um, I would say, you know, as long as you recognize the fact that it had an impact, I think that's the important thing. I don't think anyone can really deny that. And second of all, I would say that um, I would say that it had enough of an impact that it's without if Israel and its lobby had not been able to do it, had not been able to successfully smear Jeremy Corbyn as an anti-Semite, then I think he would have become prime minister. I do think that is the case. And I think I do think I agree that the, the, the whole Brexit debate and the referendum, the issue of having a second referendum. I agree that it played a role, but I don't think it had the damage that the anti-Semitism smears did. And the reason for that is simply that I don't think it got to Jeremy Corbyn as personally mm. as the anti-Semitism smears did. Like it just, it didn't have the same amount of damage. It was something that, um, yeah, it caused division within the party. And it it probably had an impact electorally, but the anti-Semitism smears had such a big impact on the movement, and, and I think that's the point to me. It's the movement. The movement behind Corbyn was 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 his superpower. You know, it was what the only reason he was able to even become. The leader of the Labour Party in the first place was because there was this massive popular movement in support of him, you know. Um, and I don't think, as divisive as the as the Brexit referendum was, I just don't think it had the same um, poisonous impact that anti-Semitism smears did. And I don't think it had the same personal impact on Jeremy Corbyn either, because yeah. I, I opened my book with the Corbyn's interview way back in 2015 with Channel 4 News, because you can, where uh, it's, it's quite hostile, you know, despite the fact that it's uh, supposedly this liberal news channel, 
um it's quite hostile like christian guru murthy is quite hostile to corbyn on all on every issue just even on like yes um the issue of refugees and asylum seekers um he's sort of attacking corbyn in these kinds of uh using right-wing token points really but then at the end of the interview drops in this stuff about well why did you call hamas and hezbollah your friends and you yeah. did this and you did that yeah. and you could see in that interview that how it that impacted on jeremy corbyn it was something he he got he kind of got angry about it actually which was unusual to see and I think from that moment, it would have been very clear to the Israel lobby, the pro-Israel groups, uh, and even to the Israeli state that this was a hot button issue and something that could be used to great effect. Mm, mm, no, indeed. I mean, my my view on it, uh, Asa, is that, uh, yes, of course, the Brexit referendum did have a big impact. But like you, I, I, I think that the... Um, you know, the anti weaponization of anti-Semitism and, and, you know, the smears relating to that, driven by the Israeli state and its assets in, in this country, hold Jeremy below the waterline. It's actually sapped away, you know, his political capital in that sense. Yeah. And my view is that, you know, Jeremy, well, maybe it was his advisors, but in the end, Jeremy went along with this. Jeremy facilitated that by continually giving ground to them and, and apologising to them, which I remember saying to Jeremy, and I've made this point on this programme and indeed on other shows before, I said to Jeremy, for Christ's sake, Jeremy, stop apologising. You've got, of all people, have got nothing to apologise for. You've done more than anybody to fight uh, racism in the House. And when, you know, the likes of David Cameron were wearing badges saying, hang Mandela, you were getting arrested on the steps of the South African embassy in Trafalgar mm. Square. I mean, what's your take on, on, on that, Ace? I mean, where, where do you think uh, Jeremy went wrong? Or did he do you think he went wrong? I mean, you know, what, what's your thought? Where did it all go wrong for Jeremy? That's yeah. I mean, was, it, was he responsible for for the, uh, you know, the disaster that ended up uh, happening? Yeah, I mean, he made he made mistakes. There's no doubt about that. Like, it was, it was, a, it was a massive mistake to... Uh, I mean, the irony, I mean, I said this on another podcast recently, the irony is that Jeremy Corbyn is now in the exact same position that you were in. Exactly. You know, and it's, it's, that is what, you know, it gives me, you know, no pleasure to say that we were right about that, <laughs> but we were right about it. And we did say, um, we did say all along that, um, you know, if you give ground to these people in this way, eventually it's going to come for you as well. And um, that's what happened. You know, I don't think Jeremy Corbyn ever had. Jeremy Corbyn was sort of in office, but not in power. And he wasn't even in office. <laughs> like, he, I think he was partly in office. And especially by the end, it, it seems like people like McDonald were more in power, were more in the driving seat. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, he, it was a big mistake. They're in the driving seat, but they were driving the uh, driving the bus over the cliff. I mean, the likes of John John McDonald, weren't they? I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, Jeremy should have pulled the handbrake. I said, John, you're taking us over the bloody cliff, mate. What, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> uh, but uh, obviously that didn't help. Yeah. But uh, uh, hey, so I mean, 
you know, it was so vicious. I mean, you know, when that, not long after I got elect, re-elected, shall I say, in because I lost my seat, as you know, in 2015, I got re-elected in, in 2017. And I, I remember giving a, an interview. It was like a full-page interview to The Guardian. I think I'd whetted the media's appetite because I fought the most marginal seat in England. And I said that, you know, I was the most Corbyn-friendly candidate standing anywhere in the country in England's most you know, in England's most uh, marginal seat, this would be a test case mm. for um, for uh, for Corbynism, and so I think mm. that that sort of put me on the on the media's uh, uh, sort of radar. Anyway, they did this interview with me. You, you you I think you referred to it in the book, actually, if I'm not mistaken, do, or maybe yeah. I read it somewhere else, where I'd um, where I'd uh, well, I was trying to sort of I was trying to address the absurd smears that were being directed at Jeremy, and I was saying, you know, it's kind of there, there was. Yeah, what did I say? Uh, 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 bullshit, and uh, um, I can't remember the precise terms I used, but basically I was saying it was it was a pile <laughs> of nonsense anyway. Um, and I cited different examples, you know, the the, the attacks about it being a Czech spy, about being a misogynist, and I was saying, you know, the weapon uh, and the uh, anti uh, accusation of anti-Semitism, you know, were particularly egregious in that sense. Yeah. And, and that put me, you know, uh, even to an even greater extent on the radar of the. Uh, of the Israel lobby, the Zionist lobby. I mean, they'd already mm. started to uh, criticise me prior to my uh, re-election when I made some fairly tame comments, I think, about the Oxford University Labour Club, and I'll, I'll come on to that uh, mm. in, a, in a moment. Um, but uh, it was just the viciousness of it. I mean, you've got the likes of Ruth Smith, who you, you've obviously talked about quite extensively in the book. I mean, she was calling for the whip to be withdrawn from me after two months after I'd been re-elected. You know, because of this interview <laughs> in The Guardian. I mean, yeah, mm. but, but they were so vicious, so relentless. I mean, it's a long-winded question, Asa, but really the number of what I'm trying to get at is, were you surprised by the viciousness or did, is that something you expected from the Israel lobby? I wasn't surprised, personally, no, because... But then but that's because I deal with them, you know. We, we're subjected to them, I should say. Um, on a daily basis, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, we, we, we see as somebody who reports professionally on the Israel lobby, I, I, I knew and I'd experienced firsthand and I'd experienced from reporting on people uh, on the left and people in the Palestine Solidarity Movement who have been attacked by the, the pro-Israel lobby. And this kind of weaponized anti-Semitism, false allegations of anti-Semitism um, used to as a political weapon um, is their is their primary weapon, and it has been for many decades. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. What what you said was proxy wars and bullshit. Oh, that was it. Yeah, proxy wars and bullshit. I couldn't, I couldn't remember the precise. Uh, the precise you you yeah, said proxy you. wars and Thanks bullshit, and. Um, yeah. And uh, but you were talking about rows in the party in general, uh, yeah, including including so-called anti-Semitism. But what you actually said, I mean, I, I agree. Like the that interview with the Guardian was really, um, I think that was really when the Israel lobby marked your card because you made that the comment. The the, the interview wasn't mostly about that, but it was no. um, kind of no, a that was... comment in passing at the at the end of the interview but then after that they re i mean from then on 
they were really going all out for you in the same way they went all out to get rid of um, Ken Livingston and Jackie Walker. Um, and what, yeah, but okay. what you said was actually quite moderate, really, because mm. you said you said um, I'm looking at the book now, the text of my book, and it, it you said um, I'm not saying it never happens, but it is a really dirty low down trick, particularly the anti-Semitism smears. Many people in the Jewish community are appalled by what they see as the weaponization of anti-Semitism for political ends. So you were being quite moderate, like you weren't saying that, you know, it, the left is immune. Like you weren't saying that it could never possibly happen. Like, that, yes, of course, there's probably cases on the margins of the Labour Party, which was an organization of 600,000 people at that stage. Mm. Around 600,000 people. Yeah, there could be marginal cases of anti-Semitism. But, the, you know, the point that you were trying to make and that a lot of people were trying to make was that anti-Semitism is um, almost overwhelmingly, almost completely, overwhelmingly and almost completely a phenomenon of the right and the far right. Um, and what was being carried out against the Labour Party, against Jeremy Corbyn personally and against the movement behind Jeremy Corbyn was a smear campaign. It was a deliberately calculated smear campaign. And, um, you know, that's what a lot of the British left, I think, never really, never really faced up to. Well, some of them actually um, sort of facilitated, accelerated yeah. it, didn't they? And actually joined Absolutely. in the uh, attacks. Uh, you know, we know the most infamous example probably is uh, Owen Jones, but there were many others as well, weren't there? Suppose yeah, Navarro Media were really Navarro Media was really terrible by the end. You know, they were sort of they were quite friendly with you in the beginning, and mm. then threw you under the bus and in quite a disgusting way, really. Mm. Um, yeah, and it this the reason I have written this this book is because I want to start a debate and I want to have a discussion about how. Um, the left can defeat these attacks, you know, and about yes. how how we can face up to the reality of the defeat mm. and the reality of how this strategy will be used again and again until it's defeated. And you you have to face up to it, and you can't cut the Gordian knot as John McDonnell claimed would help. But I mean, it doesn't make any sense. You know, he his whole point was about the IHRA document. Well. If they're demanding, they're making all this fuss about the RHRA definition of anti-Semitism, so we'll just give them that, and then they'll shut up. Well, yeah. when has that ever helped? It, it didn't help. They just kept they kept going on with this whole false weaponized anti-Semitism, and it you know it led to it led to Corbyn's defeat. I mean, I don't think anyone can deny that at, at a minimum it played a major role in his defeat. No, indeed. I mean, John, you know, if I could maybe give my book a plug as well while we're on, uh, 10 Years Hard Labour. I talk about John McDonnell. Um, when I was reinstated and there was moves afoot to have me resuspended again, which happened within 48 hours by an alleged kind of, uh, you know, Corbynist General Secretary, Jenny Formby. And there were 150 or so MPs and peers who'd signed a motion to go to the next Parliamentary Labour Party meeting, which never actually got that far because I was suspended before that meeting took place, calling for the whip to be withdrawn and for inquiry to be mounted into how it was possible that somebody like me 
could have been reinstated by an NEC committee. But John's advice to me was to apologise again and again, to offer to see uh, and speak to any MP who's been offended, hurt or distressed by what I said and do the same for any National Executive Committee member who's been hurt, offended or distressed. He also urged me to go and see the Board of Deputies and to go and see the Jewish, basically prostrate myself before the Jewish Leadership Council and to go and essentially apologise to the local synagogue, of which there isn't one in Derby. <laughs> but, I, but, but, I, but I said that there's no way that's going to happen, John, uh, because, you know, the evidence of the last, apart from it being, you know, the wrong thing to do anyway, just in principle, but, I mean, you know, practically it isn't working. The last four years surely yeah. demonstrates that. And my request to John was that what he needed to do was to issue a statement welcoming my return to the party and to go onto the media to uh, defend me. But, of course, that, that never happened. I just wondered what your thoughts were. Really, what, about what did he say back. when you when you said that? He just went quiet and never got any response back, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No response. And, yeah. uh, and, then, and, then, and then I never heard another word from him. And, frankly, I never heard... Well, I only got, I was only contacted, well, you can count on the things of one hand, the number of uh, socialist campaign group members who who even spoke to me privately about uh, what had happened to me, uh, to express any kind of level of solidarity. Um, mm. Laura Smith was the most supportive, followed mm. by Richard Bergen, but, but nobody was prepared to speak out, and indeed about me, or in, for that matter, anybody else. And as you know, Asa, I was the only MP that was speaking out for, for others who'd been previously attacked so I just wonder what your thoughts were about the, uh, you know, the role of the socialist campaign group in this whole sorry saga. Well, it was completely useless, wasn't it? I mean, it was absent. <laughs> it did nothing. If it, if if uh, it was either completely silent or it just helped, like there was, yeah, it was pointless. It's a complete irrelevance. Is my so? Do you think then the the? I mean, you know, you say in your book, you know, you kind of talking about I mean, the, you know, the reason for writing the book was to, well, obviously chronicle what had happened, but also give some yeah. hope that, you know, the, the Israel lobby can be defeated. I mean, they are very powerful. I mean, do you think they, that it's possible for a, for a you know, progressive anti-imperialist socialist to, uh, well, potentially come to the fore again, as Jeremy did, but to actually prevail yeah. next time? Are, are they yeah, defeatable? I, I, I do. It just takes the political will. Hmm. You know, because you've just given an example there. All that's all. That's all. Um, <clears throat> there was two suggestions there in that discussion between you and John McDonald. He suggested that you prostrate prostrate yourself before the Israel lobby, essentially, uh, and the NEC. Um, if you'd have done that, like it, as you said, like even aside from the fact that it is the wrong thing to do. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, you'd have done that. Would it have stopped you from being expelled? No. But of course not. It would, there's no way it would have. So his suggestion would have done nothing. But your suggestion to him of having a statement in favour of of welcoming you back would have had a, would have been a massive defeat to them. They, you know, the all of these defeats were kind of self inflicted in a way because. It was, um, I, I mean, as you've alluded to, it was the left that had, to a large extent, had the reins of power in the Labour Party. You mm. know, it was Jenny. It was Jenny Formby, 
who suspended you, you know? Yeah. Um, and I suppose it's Corbyn Easter. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, um, the whole thing was, was kind of self-inflicted. It was a, it was a real, it was a real own goal. And so it wouldn't, I, I think that, yes, the Israel lobby is powerful. Yes, it has a lot of influence. But I think it can be defeated fairly easily, easily, or it just takes some political will to stand up to them. Do you think the Israel lobby then were um, were, were, were consciously um, uh, at the outset of the of emergence of momentum? Because you know, momentum was initially a very positive force and 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 made a huge contribution to the big surge in support for. Jeremy and the Labour Party in the 2017 election, but then it all went wrong very, very quickly thereafter. I mean, do you put that down to the uh, to the Zionist lobby that um, were in, you know, an infiltrator or in a high place, or were indeed, you know, instrumentally starting the organisation? The first. What was it all about? I mean, you know, in your view, I mean, momentum, because I mean that you know, <laughs> allegedly it was about you know supporting Jeremy and uh, and you know and facilitating a progressive anti-imperialist uh, uh, government to to come to power and then the leadership seemed to be very much working to prevent that in the end i mean what's your yeah. thoughts about that and, and and the role of the israel lobby on uh, momentum yeah i i explain in the book um I, I do talk about this in the book john landsman um was somebody who in his own words, saw himself as a Zionist when he was when he was young, and he um, he he was somebody who you know he went he went to a kibbutz. He spent time on a kibbutz uh, in occupied Palestine, um, and um, he was never really on board with Jeremy Corbyn to be prime minister. There was some qualified support for Jeremy Corbyn as Labour Party leader at yeah. certain periods, but only as a stopgap. And I explain that in the book, really, that it was people like John Landsman saw, John Landsman specifically, and the sort of people around him, saw Jeremy Corbyn as a stop stopgap leader, leader of the Labour Party, um, as somebody who could make way for... <clears throat> somebody more who on their kind of tendency of the Labour Party, I suppose, soft left in a way, but without anti-imperialist foreign policy and without support for Palestinian liberation. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think momentum was, in terms of the membership, um, it was kind of, it, the membership was, you know, the membership was very pro-Corbyn and the membership of Momentum was against the witch hunt, you know, all along. There was a poll um, at the end. And I, I've, I've written about this and, and I mention it in the book. There was a polling after the 2019 general election showing that um, I think it was 74%, certainly a large majority of Labour Party members thought that that they never they never bought into the anti-Semitism smears. Essentially, yeah. they thought seventy four percent of them thought that it was 
either vastly exaggerated or invented in the in the words of the poll. So that's 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 huge. Like it's a huge defeat for the Israel lobby in terms of the narrative and controlling the narrative. They were unable to control the narrative at the popular level because that that would be their ultimate goal would be to change the narrative at the popular level. They weren't able to do that. They were able to change the narrative at the um, establishment level, at the level of the mainstream media, the level of the, um, you know, the controlling uh, establishment of the Labour Party, Labour Party bureaucrats, uh, Labour Party MPs and so forth. So they were able to influence that. Um, but the momentum, the, the membership of the Labour Party, 74% of them never believed it. Uh, and those figures actually got higher and higher, you know, as people were able to see. But it yeah. wasn't 74% at the beginning of the smears. By the end, it was it was huge. And the, and the momentum membership, that figure was even higher. It was something like 92%, I think. It's the, the, the figures and everything. Well, that's interesting, but, isn't it? Yeah, so, you know, John Landsman, who by the end played a very uh, pernicious role, really, mm. in... Um, in promoting the anti-Semitism smears, uh, you know, yeah. he uh, he called for Ken Livingston to not only get out of the party but to leave politics altogether. Yeah. Um, he was incredibly angry about you being, you know, he, he he he. I remember his tweets, like his John Landsman's tweets, tend to be kind of diplomatic from for the most part. But then when you were found to be innocent of anti-Semitism and readmitted into the Labour Party. He was, at, you know, he, he tweeted about it in just incredibly angry terms, which was unlike him. So, you know, it it showed just the, um, the really native role that he was playing. What do you think then the, the role of momentum then simply, or that negative role of momentum, simply steered by John Lansman, who was instinctively a, a Zionist, or, or or do you think there was a a more nefarious role from the wider, you know, Zionist movement, the the Israel lobby, in actually trying to influence momentum? Thing. Um. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. I think that. Um, I think that momentum. The momentum leadership. I mean, look in. I remember at the beginning when Momentum first started, I went along to one of its um, events and I remember just thinking, well, this is a completely new organization. Everyone's here, not for, and John Lansman was speaking and he was speaking about how, so this would have been in 2016 when the, the coup was going on. And he was talking about the minority of Labour MPs who had supported the coup. And he was trying to rally the crowd and saying, um, uh, you know, show your appreciation for Rebecca Long Bailey for this mm. one and that. I, I forget all the names he mentioned. I, remember, I do remember he said Rebecca Long Bailey, but for basically for the minority of MPs who had supported Corbyn in that um, no confidence vote, the people who had voted in favour of him, um, and you know, it, it was a it was an interesting rally, and I just thought, well, everyone's here to stop. Corbyn from being eliminated, from being politically mm. eliminated. 
uh, and we're all sort of giving money. We're all giving, you know, five pounds to Momentum because we wanted to stop, you know, because they said they were going to do something to to stop Jeremy Corbyn being uh, politically assassinated, essentially. But I, I remember th- feeling a reservation even at the time then when I, I knew nothing really about John Lansman. Mm. Um, just thinking like, well, we don't know anything about this organisation. You know, it's gathering all of our uh, personal data. It's, you know, it's taking our, it's taking donations. We're giving it money. And it's, yeah. it was just a case of what well, we're, we're throwing this money at, <laughs> at this organisation, just almost in desperation to kind of stop this mm-hmm. political coup, this coup against Corbyn from taking place. Um, I think it rather turned out that momentum actually played quite an ambiguous role in that coup. From you know, from my in terms of the leadership, obviously you know the members members of Momentum were doing all they could. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think John Lansman. We know now that by that stage, John Lansman actually wanted Jeremy Corbyn to step aside. You know, and when I first started reporting that, um, he denied it. But then he he later after the twenty nineteen election. Uh, or close to the 2019 election, he actually confirmed it to the BBC. Yeah. You know, that he was actually calling for Corbyn to step down and be replaced by John McDonnell, somebody who was more sympathetic to him. I mean, John Lesman is somebody who's, who he puts forward his own kind of legend, really. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, I know he does. Yes, absolutely. It makes sense. He played a much bigger role than I'm told he actually did in the Tony Benn. uh, campaign to become the deputy leader, but you also talk in the book, uh, Acer, about um, the Oxford University Labour Club and, and Alex Chalmers, and uh, you know, for me, um, that seemed to be the, the catalyst really, where th- it really it seemed to heat up from there. The whole anti-Semitism. I, mean, I know you've been yeah. obviously reporting on it. You, 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 you know, you weren't surprised by the viciousness because that you know you've known them of old, as it were, the the, the sort of dirty tricks and tactics that they get up to, but. It seemed to burst onto the uh, wider public consciousness, I think, in in 2016, I think that was, or the end of 2015, I yeah. can't remember when that was, actually. Um, with the AOC. So say, say a bit about that, uh, Asa, because that's an interesting one. And do you agree that that was the, the catalyst, or do you think there was another uh, Yeah, event? I do agree, but, uh, absolutely. I mean, that was that was really what started it all, really. As, as it, the anti-Semitism smears against the Labour Party, against mm. Corbyn's Labour Party and against the wider movement started there. That was really ground zero, the Oxford mm. University Labour Club. And um, it it start, It did start, it, I mean, it's in a way it started right from the beginning against Corbyn individually mm. during the, um, during the, the first leadership election. Yeah. In uh, in the summer of 2015, um, you know, they were saying that, uh, you know, the whole thing about, oh, you're calling Hamas and Hezbollah your friends and uh, that he'd supported Raid Salah and all this stuff. But it, it didn't gain that much traction. Um, and people started to see, you know, because it, that it wasn't that effective and, and they, they kind of backed off at that stage from calling Corbyn personally himself mm. um, an anti-Semite because... You know, he has the fact is he has this record of anti-racism. And so they backed off for a while. But what Oxford University Labour Club allowed them to do was they could attack 
pro-Corbyn students, instead of personally attacking Jeremy Corbyn, um, who had this established record as an anti-racist, they could go for these quite vulnerable young students, basically, um, who were demonised as anti-Semites with no basis around it. Um, and also, you know, as 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 punishment, essentially, for some of their um, proximity to the Palestine Solidarity Movement that they had, and their proximity to Jeremy Corbyn, as supporters, of, local supporters of Jeremy Corbyn within Oxford University, uh, the, the Oxford University scene, essentially the Oxford University student politics scene as the left, mm-hmm. and it it was. Um, the the other thing that really shows how important the Oxford University Labour Club incident was, and I get into it in some detail in my book, was that it started off a chain of all these inquiries. Yeah. So I, I lost count of all there, there were so many different inquiries and reports <laughs> into alleged anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. There must have been about five or six at a certain point. Um, I detail it in the book, but um that that whole chain of inquiries which ultimately resulted in the um the equality and human rights commission inquiry mm-hmm. against the labor party trying to allegedly find it guilty of institutional anti-semitism although in the end it didn't find that it didn't come it didn't find that at all although that's what was asked of it um you know effectively a not guilty result although they didn't mention that mm. um that all of that whole chain of events, that four-year-long chain of events, all these reports, inquiries constantly in the headlines, started an Oxford University Labour Club. Yeah. And the person who's, who wrote that first report was somebody who is now the head of an Israeli embassy front group, which is Labour Friends of Israel. So yeah. that was Michael Rubin. He wrote this um labor students investigation into what happened at oxford university labor club Um, but it was a completely it was a complete hatchet job you know as so many uh, of these uh, sort of events were of course um i mean you say you mentioned the the inquiries i mean you know jeremy seemed to be again falling over himself to try to placate the unplicatable and Mm. establishing the the Chakrabarti review and you talk about uh, that in the book uh, as well I mean just give us a sense of what your, your your take on is on that I mean I think it was a mistake frankly to to even set up that inquiry in my opinion yeah uh, um, but but what's your what's your take on, on that whole process because I mean obviously that also led to Mark Wadsworth the well-known black rights campaigner being suspended for asking a question at the Chakrabarti uh, uh, press um, conference to launch the report yeah yeah no i agree with you i think it was a mistake to because why why is this being investigated in the first place when there was no basis to it at all like the the basis of so the chakrabarti inquiry was triggered by the events at oxford university labor club and you know then several other things were sort of rolled into it and uh, the the people who conducted the Labour students investigation, which as I've just mentioned, was written by um, an asset of a foreign power, essentially, Michael Rubin, 
an agent of the state of Israel, essentially. Mm. Um, he, you know, that report then fed into the Chakrabarti inquiry. Now, the, the Chakrabarti inquiry itself as a document, it's not terrible. Like, it has some sensible things that it says in it, but it also has, you know, it has some really unproven things that it says in it, where it says that, oh, there was all this anti-Semitism at Oxford University Labour Club and that, um, you know, we need to do this and we need to do that. But yeah. the main problem with it was that it just, why are you having an investigation into anti-Semitism in the Labour Party? It gives the impression that there, that there is a real problem here that, ne that needed to be dealt with um, rather than a smear campaign against the left and against Palestine Solidarity Movement. And that's what it did. That gave that main impression. Um, and uh, the positive aspects of it were never implemented, where it said yeah, that you know, where it said there should be, um, you know, a moratorium on um, on uh, allegations of anti-Semitism and all these kinds of things. The positive aspects of it were, were ignored by the Labour Party bureaucracy, and the general impression of a massive problem on the left of anti-Semitism and in the Labour Party and amongst Corbyn supporters specifically um, was really the the main upshot of it. And it, yeah. you know, it just kept the story rolling, really, yeah. essentially was the main problem with it. Yeah. I mean, fast forward then, I mean, obviously, you know, everything that's happened and so on, but I mean, very timely, your your book coming out, here it is, uh, a great book, people should, as Ken Loach said, should get a copy of it. Um, but it coincided, didn't it, with the uh, uh, hyperbolic attacks on Roger Waters, um, mm. sort of right on, on cue almost as a sort of <laughs> kind of promotion for the book about weaponizing. Talk about weaponizing anti-Semitism. I mean, there was a, a double down news interview that Roger did, um, which also got attacked. I think it was actually withdrawn from uh, Twitter for a bit, but then they reinstated it. But yeah. What what? Double Down News then subsequently did uh, a few days after was to publish another short uh, video showing um, Roger Waters doing exactly the self same show, you know, f what, 10, 12 years ago. But also significant, there's a, some sort of tribute band in, in Israel doing exactly the same word for word. Uh, show that uh, that Roger Waters did in Berlin, which caused all the furore. Um, mm. what, what do you make of these attacks on on Roger Waters? It kind of sort of proves the point of this about how how ruthless the uh, Israel lobby is, and and how how much sway they seem to have. Or certainly in terms of you know influencing the you know the corporate media and the political class. Because I mean, it wasn't just in this country; it was. Yeah. Uh, Across Europe, wasn't it, that we saw Roger Waters being attacked? Although I don't think they've succeeded in cancelling him anywhere as yet, I don't think. But... No, I mean, this this is the problem that they're going to have. They have two problems with Roger Waters um, with, in getting him cancelled. The first is that he's a very successful rock star and he has a lot of money and he can sue them and stop them from... He could stop, you know, a venue like... Uh, the O2 Arena and uh, the venue in Manchester that he played at, he could potentially sue them for breach of contract if they'd cancelled his show. So that's one problem. The other problem that the Israel lobby's got is that he's um, he doesn't have a political party that he can be suspended from. Mm -hmm. um, so 
it's uh yeah i mean it it is exactly this is exactly an example of what the book i mean although the book doesn't really it doesn't mention uh roger waters except in the acknowledgements because he helped me out to finish the book yeah of course yeah um uh, and uh, he provided some really important moral support as well um because he's you know he 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 could understand the significance of the story because this happened to him yeah um even back back then when he when uh, when i was talking to him about it um he it, it's um it, this is this shows why I wanted. This is the other reason I really wanted to write the book. You know, in addition to this, the 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 debate that I wanted to try and spur is the fact that yes, it's history. Yes, it's something that's happened. It's something that had that uh, is a period in history. I think it's important to document and learn the lessons from. But it's also a story that hasn't ended. It's a story that's continuing on even within the Labour Party. We still see people being, um, you know. The, the the small left that is even remaining being expelled and disciplined and witch hunted in various ways and it's spread to other parts of society now you know where we see that obviously uh david miller the expert in the israel academic expert in the israel lobby was um sacked despite um two independent investigations finding him not guilty of anti-semitism um and it uh he and also the uh, the leader of the National Union of Students has been kicked out due to her, yes. you know, with due to her support for Palestinians essentially, um, and her she's now been she's been um, smeared in exactly the same way with weaponized anti-Semitism, and so we see that the same sort of thing is happening against Roger Waters that these completely malicious and false allegations of anti-Semitism. Um, it's, it's a perfect example of what the book shows and so I think it's going to be it, it's uh, I think the book is timely and it's it's going to continue to be timely unfortunately because this is an issue that is not going away and it's an it's uh, it, it's just a it's a tactic that is so useful to the right it's a weapon that the Israel lobby has provided to the right yeah, yeah. to the entire wide swathe of the right from the right of the Labour Party through to the Conservatives Party, yeah. all the way through to the fascist right, which now yeah. attacks anti-racist and says, "Well, you're the real racist because you yes. hate, you hate Jews and you hate Israel," and so this kind of nonsense, weaponized anti-Semitism, um, is an important weapon that the Israel lobby has provided to the right, and it, it can't be swept under the rug. It can only be defeated. You know, it can't be ignored like um, John McDonnell tried to argue. It can only be actively fought against and defeated. And, you know, if you do fight it, you might not win. You tried to fight it from within the Labour Party, Chris, and you didn't win. But that was only because you were a lone voice, really, in in terms of Labour MPs, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there was no solidarity with you. Um, yeah. But... You know, so you you fought and you didn't win, but the only way you can win is to fight. And um, yeah. this, uh, I hope that I, I just hope the lessons are learned from it, basically. Well, it's it's a great book, uh, uh, Sarah. I mean, it, it's catalogued, uh, you know, a shameful uh, chapter, I think, in in the history of the Labour movement. But actually, more widely than that, as you say, because it's spread well beyond now, the uh, the Labour 
party and the Corbyn project, and as you say, um, you know, into academia and all the rest of it. Um, and um, you know, one of the things that I've been doing on the uh, on the program that I uh, host, Palestine uh, Declassified, we, we, we've been, you know, exploring the the influence of the of the Israel lobby, and uh, it's 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 incredible, really. I mean, it's quite you know pervasive. It's uh, it's sort of ubiquitous, and its its influence is is yeah. Um, it's a great right show. Across. Everyone should watch it. It's um, Indeed, thank you, Conrad. Yeah. You, yeah, you're but doing it, but, some but really it, but important research, cutting-edge research, actually. You've, it, you've it, come up with a lot of stuff which I hadn't known. It's frightening, actually, uh, the extent of it. Um, and, of course, when we highlight it, I mean, you know, we're often accused of, oh, well, it's just an example of anti-Semitism. But you just know it's just a reality of, of the, of the uh, you know, the you, you know the ubiquitous influence of the, of the Israel lobby. And I guess, you know, if we're going to fight back against it, you know, shows like Palestine Declassified, your book is absolutely crucial because this kind of sets it all out. It explains it to people, you know, in very clear language, what it is we are up against. And I think, you know, unless you actually understand that and know that, it's going to be very, very difficult to to actually prevail in the end. But yeah. like you say, uh, um, very optimistically, Asa, you know, we, we can prevail. It just takes political will to do it. And regrettably, that was sadly lacking in the upper echelons of the of the movement and, uh, you know, it's still happening in the trade union movement today. And you've, you've cited some examples in terms of, you know, what's happened today with Miller, et cetera. But, you know, we've seen uh, people in the, like the general secretary of the, uh, the uh, GMB uh, protesting about Loki appearing at the Tolpuddle Festival last year, uh, a celebration mm -hmm. of the Labour movement, et cetera. He, he got cancelled from there. Uh, the, this year, they banned the, the, the film, The Big Lie, about the, uh, you know the demise of the of the Corbyn project. What 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 happened there? I mean, it's it's quite incredible, really, that you know this sort of thing can be happening still inside the Labour movement and beyond it. But as I say, it's, it's a great book. So, but where where can people get hold of a copy? I know a lot of people say they're desperately trying to get hold of a copy and. Uh, is it going to be available in bookshops? Uh, or yes, I, I actually went into London on Monday and I went to um, the uh, Bookmarks, the Socialist Bookshop, and they had a, they had a copy there. Um, Great. They should get more than one copy in. Yeah, yeah <laughs> um, absolutely. Right so in bookshops, I know it's available um, online bookshops. Um, you know, it, it, we, we don't want to encourage people to buy from Amazon, but it is on Amazon. Yes, of um, course, yeah. Uh, but the best place to get it from is direct from the publisher, which is orbooks.com, all books. Okay, so if people just key that into a Google search or something, they'll, they'll be able to find it. Yeah. Uh, great. And is it going to be available on, on Kindle and things like that? Yes, it's on it's on Kindle and it's on, um, you can buy an ebook as well, yeah. Great. And, and are you going to be doing an Audible version, Asa? Um, the, I would love to do an Audible version. But that's that's right. also owned by Amazon, and so you know they they'd have to yeah. they'd have to approach yeah. the publisher. So right. so if people right. buy enough copies of the book, then yeah. there, will, there will be a, I'm sure there would be an audio book version. Yeah. Great, that'd be great. Well, listen, thanks very much indeed for taking the time, Asa, for speaking to us this evening. Uh, good luck with the book sales, everybody. Thank get you. hold of a copy if you can. Uh, Weaponising anti-Semitism: the uh, how the Israel lobby brought down Jeremy Corbyn by Asa Winstanley. Uh, get a copy. It's uh, really important because, uh, you know, knowledge is power and everybody should, should get this book for sure.
Thank you, Asa, for being on the show this evening. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Uh, uh, hopefully, we'll be back next week uh, at the same time. So, until then, this is Chris Williams for saying bye for now.